Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to see you here today. One more time, happy 4th of July week. I am so glad that uh, we are privileged to live in a country where, with our challenges, with our problems, uh, the name of Jesus can still be proclaimed publicly and proudly. And I'm glad that we get to worship in a place that uh, God's hand has been upon, in a country that I really believe God's not done with. Uh, today, you're joining us for the third week of our series called Summer Fruit. We're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and following. You go ahead and go there. Um, while you're turning in your Bible, um, I like to, from time to time, uh, give honor where honor is due. And ultimately, anything in the church, honor is always due to the Lord. But the Lord does some incredible stuff through people who are obedient, who are timely, who bring their gifts and talents and skills to bear and various opportunities and challenges and so I just wanted to take a moment and say a special thank you to Pastor Joseph, who was with you just a few moments ago on stage, uh, for last week for the message he gave as you looked at the spiritual fruit of love. I thought Pastor Joseph, if you were here, just uh, and if you weren't, you need to go online and watch it, just absolutely knocked the ball out of the park. And so Joseph, I don't know where you are, but um, just a great job. Um, what a joy for a pastor to be able to go away for a few days with his family and know that this pulpit is taken care of. Uh, a lot of things churches can do, but the thing that has to be protected the most, in my opinion, is the thing that happens uh, in our corporate worship service when the Word of God is dealt with. Um, the Word of God is powerful and dealt poorly doesn't have the full impact that it can have. And when the Word of God is taken seriously and when it's dealt with appropriately and judiciously and wisely and spirit-filled, an incredible thing can happen. And uh, I'm really, really glad to serve on a team that really gets that. And so Joseph, uh, Pastor Will, Pastor Melissa from time to time speaks, and they just always do a great job. Now, so we're in the Summer Fruit series, and what we're doing is we're just looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, these are fruit that happen because the Spirit is at work. These are not things that you drum up in your own power. Joseph said it last week to you that if the Lord calls you to love people, he's going to equip you and empower you to do it. He's going to teach you how to do it. It's not like he calls you to do something and then says, now go out and do your best. No, no, no. The fruit of the Spirit is this thing that God wants to produce in the life of believers. It's the fruit. It's the naturally occurring consequence of following the Lord. Over time, these things, these nine characteristics will show up in your life. And you both get them as a gift from God. God does them for you. And you begin to learn how to walk in it at the same time. This is what happens in your spiritual life all the time. God does stuff for you. Like it's just a gift. That's salvation. He just deposits a gift in your life. And when you follow him, there are moments in your Christian life where he just gives you these deposits of grace. You didn't earn them. You didn't work up to them. You didn't have an epiphany. You didn't wake up. No, God just did something. And then at the same time, it's a both and, God calls you as a disciple to learn, to grow, to develop. And that's why this church spends a lot of time helping Christians grow in their faith. Our mission is to give you your best opportunity as a family, as an individual, as a follower of Jesus, to give you your best opportunity to become a fully developing follower of Jesus. Because in addition to these grace deposits that God does in your life, he regularly calls you to grow and to give yourself to learning and developing. Because what he's doing in your life is he's molding you more and more into the image of his son. And this is not a thing that the world really values. I mean, growing you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ is not something that people outside of the family of God care much about. 
I mean, everybody likes it when people are nice with each other, of course. And everybody has some version of the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, that they kind of uh, purport to support. <laughs> but nobody outside the family of God really wants to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ. And out of the nine fruit of the Spirit, the one I'm going to talk with you about today has more to do, in my opinion, with being molded and shaped into the image of Christ than any of the others. Now, they're all important. I'm not trying to value one of the others, but this is the one where I see God working some of his most powerful work, where the molding and the shaping becomes more clear and evident over time than perhaps the others. And it may surprise you which one it is. We're going to talk today about joy. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy. Joy is this fruit of the Spirit that happens. It's this emotion. It is this feeling. It is this personal sense, very subjective sense, that happens to you when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life doing something pretty specific. In the life of a Christian, joy happens when the Holy Spirit is at work making you see the glory of Jesus more clearly. The glory of Jesus in the word of God, the glory of Jesus through the work of God, and the glory of Jesus in the world around you. Uh, this week, uh, I, I did something I, I love to do. My family and I got away for a few days with some friends, and we traveled in some of the beautiful country that is America. We, we were actually in Denver and did a kind of a tour around Colorado for a few days. And my, my wife and kids are actually still on their way back. I flew in yesterday because I didn't want to take a couple Sundays off. So they're, they're still driving back. And there were more than once when we would turn the corner on one of those mountain roads and the scene would change in front of you that I was just awestruck with the beauty and the majesty that is reflected in the created order. You would see these snow-capped mountains. And at one particular time, we were driving over the highest continuous paved road in America. We were up over 11,000 feet, and the sun was going down. And behind the snow-capped mountains, there was the sun. And so everything just glowed almost as if it was on fire. And it was literally breathtaking. Now, for some people, that's just beautiful. For, for a child of God, that's a reflection of the grandeur the greatness and the majesty of our creator reflected in his creation. And it can produce in you a, a feeling, a, a joy. The joy of God can sometimes be revealed in the work of God. So while I was away yesterday, I jumped on Facebook and I saw that a bunch of people from our church were serving down at the New Life Mission. And the pastor on staff who normally leads that stuff wasn't there, but the team still gathered and volunteers stepped up and some 25 sets of hands, sorted clothes, straightened up shelves so that our neighbors in need would have access to things that they need. And I thought, this is the glory of God on display through his created family, the church, doing the work of God. Sometimes. And it happened to me a lot over the last couple of weeks. This is what happens when a pastor doesn't speak, and they're used to speaking every week. You spend time in the Word of God, and then you just get all ramped up. So, you know, good luck today. Here we go. Um, and so I'm reading the Word of God, and there are passages that just sometimes come alive. Passages I've read a dozen or more times come alive in the moment because the Spirit of God is at work, and something happens in you when God shows you something. 
And there's, a, there's this feeling that comes alongside the work of the Spirit. So I'm not talking about joy in all the senses that the word can be meant. There are a lot of things that can produce joy. I'm specifically talking about the fruit that comes because the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life. Teaching you to see Jesus more clearly. So when we sing the song that echoes the words of John the Baptist, when Jesus came to be baptized, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, I'm not worthy to buckle your sandals. And Jesus is there to begin his public ministry. And John the Baptist knew something. And John's words are pretty profound. They echo the words that we sung in that song. He says, I've got to become less so that you can become more. John says, I've got to become less so that you can become more. This is the work of the Spirit that happens. And the Bible says that in the life of a believer, when that happens, the feeling that can accompany that, the feeling that over time should accompany it more and more, is the feeling of joy. Joy is one of the most powerful forces at work in the life of a believer. Joy is very difficult sometimes to wrap your hands around and even understand. And joy is very difficult to pursue. In fact, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, says that the pursuit of joy is the surest way to make sure that you don't find joy. That there's something about going after joy. I want to feel good. I want to have this emotion that actually makes it very elusive. And C.S. Lewis says, and the Apostle Paul we're going to discover affirms it, that actually joy happens in the life of the believer when you follow the leading of the Spirit, when you see Jesus more clearly, that it is the consequence that happens to you. It's not the thing that you run after. It's something that you get when you run after the right things. Joy doesn't happen because you run after it. Joy happens because you run after the right things. And perhaps outside of Jesus, nobody has more right to talk about joy than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to have joy. God used him pretty powerfully in the life uh, that he was given, and he started churches, and he wrote two-thirds of our Bible, and he had incredible experiences. One of my favorite books given to us by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is the book of Philippians. It's a little four-chapter book. You can read it in well under an hour. If you're kind of reading uh, through the summer of the New Testament with us, I'm going to encourage you to just go ahead and skip down to Philippians this week and read it and go ahead and check those off. Um, we did that a couple weeks ago. Several of you said you wanted to read the, the New Testament this summer. Check out, you can read it in an hour, four chapters, two pages in your Bible. It's typically called the epistle or the letter of joy because 16 times in four chapters, some version of the word joy is written. And here's what's funny about it. You may not know this, but the book of Philippians was written to the church that met in the city called Philippi, Philippi, Philippians. But Paul wrote them this letter 10 years after he started this church while he was in prison. Paul's in prison writing a letter to a church he started 10 years ago, and he's going to try to mature them. He's going to try to grow them up a little bit. And the carrot he throws out in front of them is, is that as a disciple, joy can be yours. Joy is in front of you. Joy can be experienced. Joy can be felt. Deep, lasting joy can be felt. What's funny about this church at Philippi 10 years ago started by the Apostle Paul is just that when it started, 
it starts with a pretty dramatic story. Paul and Silas, his travel companion, are starting this church, and they create a bit of a ruckus in the city, so much so that the authorities get involved, and Paul and Silas are put in prison. They've been doing the Lord's work. They're seeing some success. And about the time the engine gets rolling, the big momentum is moving forward, the authorities come in, break up the meeting, and they throw Paul and Silas in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if that were me, I'd be a little frustrated. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. You know what's hard about this sermon today? Is that of all the fruit of the Spirit, this is one that I struggle with pretty consistently. I struggle with what does it mean and how do I lean into it and how do I let the Spirit's work be completed in me? Because if I were Paul and Silas, if I were there and we were doing the Lord's work and we were being obedient and the big mo was starting to happen and people were starting to come to Jesus and somebody broke it up and threw me in prison, I would not be a happy camper. But you know what Paul and Silas did? Some of you know your Bible, you know the story. Paul and Silas, at about midnight, so they'd been in prison for a few hours, at about midnight, here's what they decided to do. They're probably chained together behind prison bars. They decided that they would sing spiritual hymns and songs. And here they are in prison, and they're just filled up with the work of the Spirit through them and in them, and they're singing songs, songs that reflect the glory of Jesus, the grace of God, the goodness of the Lord, songs that cause them not to see their chains and the bars in front of them, but actually lift their eyes and see the God who is bigger than all of that. And the Bible says that about the midnight hour, their singing turned into a minor earthquake, actually. And it shook the prison, and the prison bars were opened, and they walked out of the prison like free men. Now, that's what happened in time and space in their situation. But the metaphor for us is that there's something powerful that happens in the life of a believer. When the glory and the grandeur of God is made more real to you. When Jesus is more precious to you. It does this thing inside of you. This subjective feeling of joy. It puts the world in its right perspective. It puts your circumstance in the right perspective. And it literally opens doors for you. Sets you free. Helps you to live the life that God has called you to do. So the fruit of the Spirit that is joy is this thing that God can deposit in you by the work of His Spirit. But it's also a thing, because this is almost always true in the life of a disciple, it's also true that you can learn kind of how joy works and what turns it on and what turns it off and how to press in, not to having and obtaining and owning joy, but into the things that produce joy in your life. That's what we're going to talk about today. So here they are, 10 years later now, the Apostle Paul writing a letter, and he reflects back on this church that he loves so much. In your message notes, um, I want, to, I want you to start right there at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 and 6. So right at the front part of Philippians, the epistle of joy, here's what the Apostle Paul says. I thank my God every time I remember you. So he's talking about the church there that he had started 10 years ago. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. Being confident of this 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is in chains. He's in prison. He's been begging to go to Rome to preach. He can't make it happen. Instead, what happens while he's planting these churches like in Philippi, he gets arrested. He makes an appeal to have his case tried at the highest court. And because he's a Roman citizen as well as a Jewish guy, he's a Roman citizen. He has the right to do that. So here he is in chains being, being transported to Rome to have his case heard. But he can't preach freely. He's in chains. The Bible actually says that he's chained to prison guards. So it's like high security, maximum security stuff. And the whole time Paul would have been out preaching, now he's stuck literally in a prison, like he was 10 years earlier. But this time, the singing and all the focusing on God doesn't have the same results externally. Something now is happening inside of Paul. And while his circumstances are bleak, the prison is dark. It's probably not very, uh, let's just say, just in the way they treat him. The food's probably not great. The sanitation's horrible, most likely. We know some about Roman prisons, prisons, uh, prisons because of archaeology and just historical realities and some of those buildings. It's not a good place to be. But the Apostle Paul, in the middle of the circumstance, the Holy Spirit is at work in him. And he's writing letters. We have several prison epistles. Philippians, Colossians, that he writes while he's chained and he can't go out and preach. And he's just writing about the stuff that's going on in his heart and the stuff that's on his mind. And people are coming and going and grabbing his letters and taking them to the various churches. And so when the Apostle Paul, in this middle of a, of a really horrific situation, reflects on this church, his emotion, catch this, his emotion is joy. Now, his circumstance is not joyful, but his heart is. This is the, the beauty of the joy that is not like the, the happiness that the world talks about. And, and as Americans, I love this value that we have, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? I love, I love that value. It's awesome. I don't know all that it means, but it sounds great, and I'm all for it. I like to be happy. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the work of the Spirit that happens inside of you. So in your message notes, let's just draw some comparisons between happiness, which is kind of like the, the very shallow entry to the pool of our conversation today, and the deep well that is joy that is available to every man and woman who is a child of God. So happiness or happy is external but joy is internal. Happiness is external, but joy is internal. Happiness comes upon you when various things in your life are going right. You've had some happy moments this week. Probably some of you went and saw a concert or you sat on a park lawn somewhere and you watched fireworks go off and there's these moments of, oh, that was cool, that was neat. Some stuff happening around you produces in you a certain sense of euphoria and the chemicals in your brain are released in a very physical response with some subjective emotion comes along and because of the circumstances, you feel happy. 
because of what's going on around you, because of what happens to you. But for the believer, joy is something that can spring up because of the Spirit's work in you. And just like the Apostle Paul who was in rough circumstances, you can be in some pretty dire situations and circumstances and as a believer still have joy. I was completely wrecked emotionally after my first trip to India. I went over to see our work in India, these precious young ladies that you guys have invested in, some of the buildings and the property that you've helped develop, some of the pastors I got to meet who you sponsor, who are doing work in the region, not just in the little, you know, uh, a handful of acres of campus that we've developed, but just the regional impact. And the number one thing I walked away with was just how joyful these people were when their life really kind of stunk compared to mine. Here I am in India, and i got to be careful of the water. And everywhere I look, it looks almost like on the verge of a developing country and a third world country. And the people I'm hanging around with, they cook their meals over crushed coconut, dried coconut shells. Because that's the fuel they use to cook their food. This is what happens on the campus that you've built. And they're less than 1% of the population in their region is Christian. There's persecution all around. It's just rough and uphill. Their standard meal every day is rice. And they don't typically have meat. And yet, they were some of the happiest people I ever met. There was something inside of them. When they prayed, I mean, they prayed like they believed their prayers were being heard by God. And when we got together and they began to sing to the Lord, there was a joy that just, it literally like came out of them. One pastor had walked 10 miles to come to the meeting so that I could pray for him. Talk about being humbled and feeling like, wait, you don't really know who I am. You, you don't get. But he had heard that we had a church that started and had done pretty well. And he was trying to start a church. So he just wanted somebody who had done some of what he wanted to do to pray for him. I was completely humbled and crushed. And I leave India and our plane stops in Abu Dhabi. That's where the plane stopped. And we had a, a day or two hangout in Abu Dhabi. Now, the area of India where we were is poverty stricken. And Abu Dhabi is one of the wealthiest cities in the world. So I'm on the 32nd store of our hotel, story of our hotel. I'm eating this incredible breakfast, or at least I filled my plate with this incredible breakfast. And I'm looking out over this world-class city, and I'm crying like a baby with the difference between the poverty in the middle of the wealth in Abu Dhabi and the brokenness and the joy and the wholeness in the middle of the poverty in India. Just blown away. In, in a few months, we have some folks who are going to go to Cuba, and I know what's going to happen to you when you go. You're going to go to our work there. This thing that happened to the group that went last time. You're going to see joy-filled Christians whose circumstances really don't match the attitude that flows out of them. The Holy Spirit has done something in them that has produced a joy that stands against in stark contrast to the, to the circumstances in which they live. Now, on your message notes, 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, one of Paul's letters, he, he talks about this internal, external thing. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. He's talking about the rough circumstances that they're in, but we don't lose heart. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This is that work of the Spirit. For our light and momentary troubles. We've got to pause there. Our light and momentary troubles. The Apostle Paul is in prison writing the, the book of, uh, of Philippians. It's just a letter, but it becomes a book in our Bible that we get only because he's in prison. I mean, if he's preaching, he's not writing. So God's going to use the fact that he's in prison to give the world an incredible gift, this book of joy. All right? This is the way God does circumstances and produces good out of rough circumstances. But let's think about Paul for a second. You know, Paul was shipwrecked twice. He bobbed like a cork in the water for 36 hours, a day and a night. <laughs> well into the next day in the Mediterranean Sea where they still do have very big fish, like the kind that swallowed Jonah. There are great whites that show up in the Mediterranean Sea regularly. And so Paul's bobbing like a cork in the water, gets rescued on an island. They kind of are marooned there, and he lights a fire. And while he's lighting the fire, a snake jumps out of the fire and bites his arm. Venomous snake. This is the Apostle Paul. This is what he's going through. He's been beaten like Jesus was beaten on the back. with the th Paul was beaten five times. Five times. And then he was rotted. So these stiff rods against his back and legs. So when Paul says these light and momentary troubles, we call that hyperbole or if you want to go to understatement to express the point. Horrific circumstances, but what he says about them is, is that though outwardly we are wasting away, things change, difficulties come, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. But look what he says here. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul had this ability, and it's available to you as well, no matter your circumstance, to see what really matters, to see the real priorities. This is what happens to people when they get bad news from the doctor. That's happens to people in our congregation. I've been beside people in hours after they get very bad news from the doctor, and instantly there's clarity on life that they didn't have moments before, but something happens that makes this temporary life take on new importance. They get some bad news from the doctor, and instantly they start talking about values and things that really matter with an urgency that they didn't have just a few minutes earlier. Pretty impressive what happened. They start talking about what really matters. And at those moments, the priorities shift because the temporary nature of what we see is on display for them in a way that it wasn't until that temporary thing is shown for what it is. And in the life of a believer, you have an opportunity, not just at stark news, but you have an opportunity every day as you walk with Jesus to have what is really important put before you, both as deposits of grace. Sometimes God just gives you a revelation, kind of like what happened to me in India. Oh, my goodness. The gospel can thrive even in, 
with, with the most ridiculously little amount of resources, the gospel can thrive and people can become disciples and what really matters can be lived. That's what I got deposited into my soul. I've read about it in the scriptures, but I saw it alive. And then there are times you can learn it. It can be deposited and you can learn it at the same time. By watching what happens to other people, by hearing stories, by seeing the glory of Jesus revealed in his word. By watching what happens when God's people are faithful to do the work of the Lord and seeing God get glorified there. And on occasion, just because the goodness of God that gets deposited in the world, it can show you what really matters. And when you start getting your priorities aligned with what really matters, here's what what happens in the life of a Christian when that happens. You're on the path to experience the feeling that comes when Jesus is glorified, when Jesus is in his right place, and your priorities are starting to get aligned correctly. I want to be very stark with you, not, not, to be, um, not to be rude about it, but when Christians don't have joy, very simply, their priorities are misaligned. They're out of order. So when you come across a push Christian, There's some brokenness, some wounding in them that has caused them to allow perhaps circumstances to rearrange the priorities that Christians are called to know and experience and live by. And when they live by those priorities, the resulting emotion is joy. So when joy is absent, the priorities are not aligned. It's overly simplistic, but it's very true. When God is on his throne in your life, in your mind, in your thinking, then joy can come to you with great ease. But when other things take the place of God's priorities in your life, you get distracted by what is seen and what is unseen loses its importance in your life. Joy comes to us because of the prioritization of understanding what Jesus is, who he is, we see him with greater clarity. Our next point. Happy is based on circumstances, but joy is based on Christ. You know this word circumstance? It comes from some Latin roots. Circum. Circumnavigate. Circle. It's the stuff around you. And stance is your situation. It's it's where, you, it's where you stand. It's your stance. So it's I'm, what I'm standing around. That's my circumstance. And so if your circumstances change, you can be happy. But that's not what we're talking about. What happens when your circumstances stink? That's where Christ can rise up. Your vision of Jesus. You can become less. He can become more. In those places where your circumstances, where you're standing around, where it stinks, that's where Christ can rise up. Your vision of him and begins to speak louder than the stuff around you. You don't necessarily run after joy. You run after Jesus. But when you do, this subjective emotion of joy tends to come alongside you. It's proof that you're seeing your circumstances correctly. These light and momentary troubles are in their right place. They're real. They have to be dealt with, but they don't define you. They're simply your 
circumstances. So Paul says at the end of the book of Philippians, this epistle of joy, he says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. That's the joy I'm talking about. There's this thing that no matter where you're standing, whatever you're standing around, there's this reality for the child of God that no matter your circumstances, joy can be yours. And if joy's not yours, it's probably because to some degree in your life, your picture of Jesus, your vision of Jesus has dimmed and your picture of yourself or your circumstances has gotten too big and too bright. So we're called to experience the fruit of the spirit of joy that comes to us as the spirit is at work in us, illuminating Jesus through his word, through the work he does in the world. And through these gifts of grace of God's goodness deposited in our global environment. So happy is based on circumstances. Joy is based on Christ. Number three, happy happens by chance. And joy happens by choice. I love it when I'm driving in the parking lot in our family. It's a little joke. We don't mean any disrespect by this. But if I can get a front row parking spot. I always pull in, and early on, I used to just joke with my kids. I would say, the favor of God is on me today. I don't know or not. I don't, it's just a parking spot, right? I have no less favor of God. I have to park five steps away or 30 steps closer. I, it's just a joke. So now if I pull into a parking lot close, my, one of my kids will say, the favor of God. I'll be like, amen, right? It's just a joke we have. You can think less of me. It's whatever. But this, that's, not, that's not joy producing. It may make my day a little easier, a little bit better. That's happiness. Pursuit of happiness. Go for it, man. You're an American. Have all you can. But joy is a choice that Christians can make where they choose to see Jesus no matter what parking spot, parking spot they get. Joy is a choice you can make as a believer where you choose to focus on what is unseen, not just what is seen around you. Joy is what both happens as a result of you doing that, that's the deposit of God, and as a result of you stepping into that thing that you're called to do, to have more of Jesus and less of you, more of Christ, less of the world. Again, sour Christians, hurting, broken, I mean, no disrespect, I've been one, I, I struggle with that. Sour, sour Christians like me, we, we, we have our perspective wrong. And so we pray and we ask God to give us a, a dose. And at the same time, we lean in. And we try to refocus our efforts. And three big places where the glory of Christ can be made more clear to you is in the Word of God. So you go to the Word of God. What does the Bible say about who you are and your identity? We, we sung a lot about that this morning. I'm healed. I'm free. I'm secure. I'm known. That's what the word of God. Those are truths that supersede your circumstance. And when you choose to reflect on those, what happens is you get some knowledge. But with that knowledge and the work of the spirit that comes from illuminating you through the word of God, you get this work of the spirit, this deposit of joy that happens to you. So if you're a Christian who's lacking in joy today, I don't mean to beat you up in any way. I would ask you to pray for a deposit of joy, but at the same time, go to the places where Jesus is illuminated and made brighter in the Word of God. 
Here's another place where Jesus is illuminated. Wherever the work of ministry is happening, go there. Be a part of that. Because when you are a conduit of ministry to somebody else, you organize a shelf so that somebody in need can come and get their needs met in a dignified way. When you're a part of something like that, that's where the glory of Christ is on display. When you give a gift with love in your heart to the purposes of God in the world, to the work of God, it does something to your heart. It doesn't just make you generous. It has a way of producing joy. You know the happiest Christians I know are the most generous with their money towards the work of God. This is not, by the way, a backdoor approach to get you to give. You do whatever you want. I don't really care. All right? That's between you and the Lord. But I just want to be honest with you. I tapped into something because of something I saw in Christians early on in ministry 30 years ago. The kinds of Christians I wanted to hang around with, go to church afterwards and have lunch with and have over my house on a Friday night for dinner, they were joy-filled Christians. And you know the common thing they all had? They were all generous. They knew something about this temporary seen thing of money. They could use it to have an eternal impact. They weren't just generous with their money. They were generous with their emotions. They were the first ones to speak encouragement. The kind of Christians you want to hang around with, do life with, they're the ones that get this joy component. They, they press into those places where Jesus is made visible and magnified and glorified. And when they press in, the result for them is they're better. That's the kind of Christians you want to hang around. That's the kind of people you want in your small group. That's the kind of people when you're down, you want to be able to call them and say, hey, man, I... That's, by the way, another place where you can find the glory of Christ being elevated is in the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. This family of God is broken as it is. Sometimes it's incredibly beautiful. And there's great joy in the friendships that happen between brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's why, can you make it to heaven without being a part of the church? Of course. Of course. But what God has for you is this, a relationship that secures your eternity and a pretty awesome but broken family that regularly can be a part of your journey in a way that their joy spills over into your life. It's a choice you have to make. All through the Bible, God calls us people to make choices. For instance, look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Here's what our Bible says. This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life. And when Jesus comes, he takes that Old Testament passage and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Choose me. Follow me. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Choose it. So joy is both a deposit and a choice you make. So much of the Christian life works that way. God does this amazing stuff for you on your behalf, but you also can learn the ways of God and put yourself in the place where the Spirit flows more naturally and easily and consistently. So the Word of God, the people of God, the work of God, these are places where Jesus is elevated. So, in my opinion is, is that if you discern what is best in your life, the priorities, that's how you can find joy. So if you want to find what is important to find your path to joy, and for a believer, what's important is Jesus. 
Everything else is less. So when I encounter a joyless Christian, when I struggle myself, it's because I've turned my eyes off of Jesus onto something else. I'm going to share with you three very simple points, even though in your message notes they take up a, a lot more space. But I want to give you just a little story first. It's actually quite embarrassing to me. But uh, we, we were a few months in as a church, and things were going really, really well, better than anybody expected. And what, what a lot of you don't know, only those that have been here for a while kind of know this, but um, I, I was a high school teacher before, and we were going to start the church a year early, and my high school came to me and said, would you stay one more year, and we'll give you quite a bit of money to help you stay. I'm like, well, yeah, and I'd like more time to get ready anyway, so this works really good, and I'm just going to bank that money because I don't know how the church is going to go, and I'm going to quit my job, but I don't know how I'm going to make it. So I'm going to have this amount of money, several thousand dollars, to kind of live on for a few months. So when we started the church, we didn't know how it was going to go, so I, I, I wasn't the church's first employee. Um, I was actually the, the fourth employee of the church. And for the first several months of operation, I didn't take a paycheck because we weren't sure where we were. I was glad to do it. I was, there was so much joy in that for me. And we were just blown away by what the, what the Lord was doing. And uh, a few months in, our original church board, who, to whom I'm accountable, they set my salary and all that kind of stuff. The original church board came to me and said, Ben, we're doing so much better than we expected. We want to give you your back pay back to day one of the church. So I got like four months of pay. And I was just blown away. Like on a couple of levels, I was blown away because A, we were doing well. B, God had honored the sacrifice. I had joy all the way through. And then there were a group of people around me who said, we see your sacrifice. We want, and you know, we're accountable for this. We want you to be taken care of and we don't need you to sacrifice it. So here it is. And what you don't know is that for years I had been wanting a motorcycle. I had been riding a motorcycle all my life as a, as a kid growing up in the country. You know, from the time I was four, I had a minibike. Not quite, but almost. And that's just country boy stuff. And so I just wanted a motorcycle a little bit. So I went out and I bought this motorcycle. Oh my gosh. My, my circumstances were awesome. I had this money I thought that was gone. I was glad to have it gone. But it, and then it came back. And it came back in the most generous and grace-filled way with all the kinds of packaging from people who cared about me. And, what. and then I had this incredible motorcycle. And I'm telling you, the church is doing well. I have a really sweet used motorcycle to me. And it's just amazing. And we had a church picnic. And I thought, I'm going to drive my motorcycle to that church picnic. And so I did. I drove my motorcycle up to that church picnic. And I'm not kidding so this is, I'm just totally embarrassed by this. The first three comments made to me was, must be nice. Then somebody said, you know, it's a little strange, all this sacrifice, and here you are driving up with a new motorcycle to you. And then one person actually said to me, no, no, he said, I feel like something fishy's going on. How do you have a brand new motorcycle? And I was crushed. And for about three months, I couldn't focus on anything other than the fact that People had interpreted this series of events to me that, for me, were great. My circumstances were awesome. They had interpreted that somehow something fishy was going on with me and money. And I was wrecked in the worst kind of way. So I got up every Sunday and I preached. But it took me about three months to realize, Ben, you're focused on people and not your mission. And what's happening now is what's important is suffering because your eyes are on people and what they think about you and Ben, you have a bit of an idol on that. Worrying about what people have to say about you. And there's nothing that happened here sideways. You now know the entire story. For those of you that maybe were here and wondered what happened, that's what happened. Um, but I had made it a bit of an idol, this thing that people would 
honor, respect, appreciate, see, know. And when a few broken people with experiences and bad theology came to me and said these things, it got in my heart in the worst kind of way. And it stole my joy. It took it away, man. Now, whose fault was that? Broken people who act like broken people? People with bad theology who speak out of bad theology? People with previous experiences maybe where somebody took advantage of them, they now think I'm just like everybody they've ever met? Were they at fault? Or was the absence of joy in my life the direct result of me not focusing on Jesus and doing my work to please him? It was me. So I've had to learn consistently over and over again the lesson of having joy as you work with Jesus, especially around a group of people who are broken. And I've had to learn that sometimes I'm the broken person. So let me give you three kind of simple but clear steps in the right direction. Number one, I want to encourage you to stop asking why. When bad things happen to you, when your circumstances change, when what you're standing around gets ugly, dark, and stinky, the question why has very limited returns. Right? It's natural. I ask why all the time. Why would people talk like that? Why does this person have to get sick? Why does that bad thing happen around the world? It's a fair question. You're welcome to keep asking it, but it doesn't biblically return many positive results. In fact, the Bible never takes care to answer why, in the most complete way, bad things happen in your life. In fact, Jesus said something pretty profound. Jesus said in John chapter 16, I have told you these things. Jesus was talking to his followers. So that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus was crystal clear. It was truth in advertising that in this world, all the followers of Jesus are going to have trouble. So he wasn't lying. He didn't say, follow me and everything's going to go great. Follow me, your circumstances will always be good. Follow me, people will always see the best in you. He didn't say any of that. Follow me, and I'll give you peace in the middle of trouble. And in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. The question why produces very little result. Let me ask you, let me give you another question to ask. Stop asking why, number two. Start asking what. Not why did this happen, but God, what would you like to do in light of this circumstance? God, what would you like me to do? How would you like me to think? What would you like me to know in light of this change in my circumstance? This is what the Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 1, verse 13. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. So he's writing them, I'd like to come to you, I can't, I'm in chains. I'd like to come preach, I'm writing you a letter instead. But here's what's happened as a result. Everybody knows, I'm not in chains for Rome, I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters who've become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And we get, because of the change, the gift of the book of Philippians. When you start asking not why, but start asking God what, do you want me to know, think, feel, and do in light of this change in circumstances? You open up yourself to a pathway to joy as opposed to getting stuck in a cycle of what ifs. You start thinking in terms of, God, how can Jesus be put more on display in my life in this circumstance? Pretty powerful when that happens. Number three, I want to, I want to ask you when you're stuck to refocus on what really matters. What really matters? In Paul's day at the church at Philippi, there were some people 
who preached Jesus, kind of like Paul, but they were selfish about it. They had ulterior motives. They had self-serving agendas. And Paul says, look, look at what he says in verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter, he says. The important thing is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I read, one of 16 times, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. When things are rough and you stand around, your circumstance changes, refocusing on what's really important. It's what happens when people get bad news from the doctor. It's what every Christian can do. Every time circumstances change and you feel it beginning to produce darkness in you, you can go back to the word of God. You can go back to the work of God. You can go back to the people of God. All the places where the, the glory of Jesus is made more clear, those are places you can hang out for a while and let the spirit do its work in you. And then finally, number four, I want to ask you to remember something. When things aren't so great for you, remember that ultimate joy is coming because you're a follower of Jesus. You get ultimate joy. Paul said at one point in Philippians chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So even if they take my life, and by the way, that's exactly what's going to happen when he goes to Rome. He doesn't know it yet. He has a hunch. They're literally going to cut off his head. And for Paul, what, what does that matter? Well, if I die, I'm with Christ. If I live, I do life with Christ. The central issue is, is that Christ is there. And I want to encourage you to remember that your ultimate joy is coming where God's going to wipe away every tear. And the reason why tears, unhappy tears, are going to have no place in heaven is because in heaven, Jesus is fully illuminated. You're going to see him clearly. And when you see him clearly, all darkness is driven away. And the resulting effect in your life will be perfect joy. But you don't have to wait to heaven for all of that. You get to have some of that here and now. So go to the places where Jesus is illuminated, the word of God, the work of God, the people of God, and there are deposits of the goodness of God at work in the world. Go to those places and let the spirit of God do his work in you and watch your joy quotient come up. And if you're a sour Christian today, I have no condemnation for you. I've been you. My hope for you is though that today you'd make a decision for Jesus to grow in your eyes, to get a bigger and clearer picture of him. So why don't you grab out your Connect card, and uh, we'll take a couple steps together. I'm talking about the fact that for believers there's the opportunity for joy, but it's possible you're not in a relationship with Jesus. You're not in his family. The Bible says you can change that in an instant. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus, the work that he did on your behalf. You can trust in that alone, and that opens the door for you to have a relationship with your heavenly father. You can become a child of God. So we'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A. It says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. All you're doing is agreeing with the Bible that you're a sinner, can't save yourself, but the work of Jesus done on your behalf on the cross and his resurrection that that and that alone can save you. So check the box if you're feeling led. And in a moment, we're going to pray. You put the card in the offering bucket, uh, offering bucket in just a moment. And we'll send you some information about what it means to be a child of God. Next step, he says, today, I'm choosing to be baptized. 
We have a baptism coming up in just a few weeks. If you'll check that box, uh, we'll answer your questions or get you signed up for it. Next step, C says this. Pray this prayer every morning. If you're struggling at all, if joy's leaking at all, here's, here's your prayer to pray. Father, today help me to see what are the real priorities and to have joy as I pursue what you have for me. Help me to see the real priorities and help me to have joy as I pursue what you have for me. Pray that prayer. Open yourself up to the spirit of God as he works in you. And then next step, D says uh, that grow, uh, step three, remember grow is four different experiences where we feed you lunch, give you an opportunity to interact with some material and talk and build a few relationships. But grow step three is coming up. It's called discovering your design. It happens on July 14th, the next week. If you check the box, we'll send you that information, get you all signed up for this. Uh, this is a great experience. It's very interactive, lots of uh, assessments to help you figure out how God's wired you and to help you figure out what is the natural path for you to serve and uh, follow God in the kingdom, either in our church or out. It's not just about us, all right? It's about, about your journey. And the next step, E says, grow four, which is revealing your mission, your call in life. It's happening on July 21. So three and four back to back. You can do both of those. We'll send you the information and a link to confirm your attendance. All right, and those are our steps for today. Why don't you set that aside? And if you call this church home, let me give you an opportunity to give back to the Lord a portion of what he's blessed you with. So I told you that I was um, out in um, Colorado this week with my family. What I didn't tell you, but I'm gonna tell you now, is because of some incredible generosity in this church, we were able to do something pretty profound. Um, this church, a handful of people in this church, decided that it was important for the leaders of our work in Cuba um, to experience some personal blessing in their life. So my wife and I got to host uh, Kevin, Job, and Tani and their five children uh, in Colorado uh, on a vacation that their finances right now would not allow them to have if they pour everything they have into the ministry that they're a part of. And so not only did I get some, some great time with my family because of the generosity of people in this church who decided in an above and beyond kind of way this wasn't taken out of your normal offerings. This wasn't in the budget. People wrote special checks for this, that they wanted to bless Kevin and his family. And I just want to tell you something. When you bless a leader who's doing God's work, you don't just bless them. You bless the entire work. And I got to watch a family get loved on because some people in our church thought that they would experience joy as they gave to help somebody else experience all that God had for them. That's the kind of church we are. That's just one example. Uh, tonight, there's going to be some 40 high school and middle school kids in our building running around, having a great time. They're going to pause. They're going to pray. There's going to be a, a message about the gospel. They're going to build relationships. That happens because you're generous. Today, while we were in here, there were students on the other side of this wall, kids on the other side of this wall, learning about Jesus. They don't give in offerings to pay for the air conditioning to cool the space that they're in. You do that because you're generous. And I wanted to say with absolute clarity, thank you. Thank you for serving the work of God and being a generous church. Those of you that carry the weight around here, you know what I'm talking about. You know the joy it brings you for being a part of that. And I just want you to know it's making a difference. Let's pray right now about our next steps. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. I want to thank you, Lord, for the fruit of the spirit of joy. And the truth is, God, I have wrestled with this one a lot because I get my eyes off of you and onto people. So, Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters in this room that we would take our eyes off of what is seen around us and we would focus instead upon you. That Jesus would become brighter in our eyes. He'd become larger in our hearts. 
that he would become less, we would become more. And I trust you, Father, that as we press into that growth as disciples, you will do the work of the Spirit and bring to us the joy that accompanies following you. I lift up those that are going through really dark circumstances right now, Father. The world around them seems bleak, and it's truly troubling. I pray that your spirit would speak peace to them now. And that even in the middle of their circumstances, Jesus, you would grow bigger. Father, I want to take a moment and just say thank you for a generous church who pays the bills, goes above and beyond, blesses the work of God outside of this church in places like Cuba. Thank you for faithful men and women who get it. I pray that you would increase their joy. Father, for the men and women right now who are declaring that they want to be your children, I agree with them that your death and resurrection is the only pathway to a life with you. They cannot earn it. It's already been earned for them by the work of Jesus on his cross and in his resurrection. So, Father, would you take our gifts now and our next steps and cause them to go far and wide for your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.